0: Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to keep drudging through this. We're getting actually pretty far into it. I'm excited about where it's, it's coming. This is a uh, kind of a halfway point in the discussion of the high priest that we've been going through for a while. So you have to remember some of it from a couple of weeks ago. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, we... We have, been, we have been working through this, this, this Jesus as a high priest idea. And, and what does it specifically mean for Jesus to be our high priest? And how important is that? And, and we'll actually continue that conversation through into chapter 10 as well. But, but um, this is kind of like every good sermon, it has a, a moment, a pause, where you kind of reflect back on what we've been talking about. And then you go, okay, now this is where we're moving forward. But, but some of the, the context, and as, as Danny taught a couple weeks ago, there are certain words and things that are used in this scripture and and the because of the group he's speaking to, a lot of it just kind of misses us. We, we, we don't really understand the context of, of what he's speaking about because it's, it's, it's a part of a religious system that we would never really experienced. Very few of us have any Jewish background and understanding of what, what that means. And that's, that's specifically the group that this, this author is speaking to, trying to, remember, if you remember, fight them with the idea that they were slipping back into a religious system apart from Jesus Christ. And so this, this section is, is actually uh, one of those areas where um, it's just kind of a broad overview, kind of a, a breather moment for what we're going to talk about more coming in, in the following weeks. And so, so he, he, he pauses, says some stuff about the high priest and then goes on. I felt a lot like this. So uh, many years ago I had uh, the opportunity to, um, I was in sales and so I sold really high end home audio and video stuff and stuff. There was a thing, there's a person, there's a thing called an audiophile. I don't know if you know this, okay. There's this person that's like somewhat pretentious, okay, and, they, um, and they, they experience pure audio at its best form. They spend thousands of dollars on cables and stuff like that. Well, there was this argument, and this is now dating me a little bit, but there was this argument, and, and it was about um, the, the digital versus analog, and which was better, and so, so there was this big, big argument about sound that was way more pure and analog as opposed to digital. And I, I kid you not, I had people that would spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on record players, okay, and, and, and trying to get the most pure, crackly sound that you could out of a, out of a, of a record and... and, and and audio. And so I feel like in a lot of ways I'm trying to convince all of you today or the author here is trying to convince all of us today that, that, that records are better sound than the digital stuff that you have today, okay? And that's kind of what it seems like. It's going to kind of miss some of us. Now some of you hipsters out there like, I have a record player at home and I do it all the time, right? Like <laughs> you, you don't count, okay? So that doesn't really matter. But but most of us are going to hear this today and we're going to go, I, you know what, this is a language. Why can't we come up with a, a more clear modern day language for what he's talking about? Just, it just doesn't exist. And so dig in with me in, here in, in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. So this is one of the best things that I wish all of Scripture would do. The author does this. Now verse 1. Now this, now the point in what we are saying is this. Now how awesome is that? Hey, Here's what we're trying to say. Here's, so you guys want to know what we've been talking about all along the way. Here's the point. Like, there's no confusion here, okay? He just says, here's the point. We have such a high priest. We have, we have a high priest. We have this incredible high priest. He is so amazing. We have such a high priest who is one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy place, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now, remember, we, we talked about the sacrificial system two weeks ago, and Danny talked about the law of Moses and, and what happened in that. We talked about how in the tabernacle, it was put together by Moses. He designed it by God telling him how to design it. So he's saying, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand, currently seated, it's a present tense, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, okay? For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer for himself. We've talked about this. Now, if, we were on, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. This is going back to what Daniel was talking about, the, Jesus being the order of Melchizedek. Again, this is before Rome crushes Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and so the temple and the Levitical system and the sacrificing of animals, that's still presently happening why this author's writing this. Okay, he's saying that. He's saying, he's saying he wouldn't even be a priest because Jesus isn't of the, 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 of, the, um, of the tribe of Levi. He comes from Judah. So he's not even a part of that. So he wouldn't be considered a high priest. But he's not a part of that system. He's before that system out of the order of Melchizedek. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And some of you are naming your kids after. That's what Daniel's hoped for, right? Melchizedek. Little decky, okay. Um, um, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if you were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. In Hebrews, what they experience, what, they're, what they're, titled, they're they're just showing a shadow, they're just showing a copy of what's in heaven. So this isn't like the the real, real thing. This is good. It's not bad, but this is not the real thing. He's just kind of recapping all these chapters ahead of time, okay? For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Okay, so this is what he's been trying to say this whole time. Jesus is, is greater than, and he's, he's, he's laying out, look, this priesthood and everything that you've done in the sacrificial system, all of those things, Jesus is greater, and he's doing a better job of it, and what he offers is hope and joy, and it's something that we should give ourselves to. Don't fall back into this old religious system and for most of us again we don't have Jewish descent and most of us didn't spend a lot of time making a trek to Jerusalem every year to sacrifice for our sins any perfect unspotted animal that's not something that is a context that we understand but to them this is a big deal this is a big deal he's he's saying look there's actually actually a fault in the old covenant now it's not the covenant itself the fault was the people the people that the covenant was made with Israelites had failed they had messed up and so he's saying, in light of all of this, Jesus is, is it. He's implementing this thing. And then he goes on to quote, actually, in all of the New Testament, the longest Old Testament quote ever out of Jeremiah. He goes in and he quotes this one. He says, he says in verse 8, for, um, oh, sorry, I should start in 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, this is quoting Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his his neighbor and each one his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for i will be merciful toward their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more and so he goes on to quote this which is written about 500 years before jesus sets on scene talking about the new covenant now if you remember Last week, at, at, during our Resurrection Sunday, we talked about the cups and Jesus implementing the cup and saying, this is the blood of my new covenant. Well, this word covenant, we don't have a modern day word for it. This is like me trying to convince you that records are, are, are better than digital, okay? This, this covenant word is very, very old. The only context in which you and I understand covenant, at least in a small amount, is a marriage ceremony. And we talked about this last, Jenny, Danny mentioned this as well, kind of the simplest definition I've heard of covenant is that, it, and the difference between covenant and contract is contracts are built on mutual distrust. You do this, and I'll do this, but if you don't do this, I won't do that anymore. We're waiting for someone else to fail. You don't have a covenantal relationship with Verizon Wireless, okay? You don't. You're just like, hey, if, if you find a better deal, you're going to move on, or if you, you, you don't pay, you're just going to lose your cell service. Like, it's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no binding to it. Nothing that's holding it together. And the reason why my heart is just saddened by this word is that this word, this word, this covenant word is the entire backbone of all of Scripture. It's the backbone of what God has been doing to be near to us, to be in relationship with us. But we don't have a great understanding of covenant. In fact, dare I say, even the marriage covenants that are around us don't give us a great definition of covenant. And I don't mean to be too offensive but when God uses the word covenant, when we see the word covenant, it is a binding, a, a binding together that when separated, it's a tearing, a tearing, a broken. And so God's saying this covenant word, it starts at the very beginning. He, he covenants with, with, with Adam and Eve before the fall. He covenants with them after the fall. He covenants with, with Noah. He covenants with, with David, with Abraham. We have all of these covenants to go along the way, and every single one of them is saying the same thing. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. God making a covenant with us, a binding relationship, something that can't be broken. It's an agreement established in trust by which we obligate ourselves to one another in such a way that ultimately, and I do a lot of weddings, and I always say this in weddings, it's not a 50-50 thing. It's a 100-100 thing. So that at any point, if someone isn't, fulfilling their 100%, it's made up by the other person continuing to do 100% in spite of what they do. Now, look, this is not a topic or a conversation about marriage, but we have to talk about it a little bit here. Because in Ephesians 5, Paul really lines up the covenantal relationship with marriage. And he says, look, a marriage is supposed to look like Christ and the church. And so we see how Christ is interacting with us in the blood of the new covenant. So, so stay with me for a second here. Covenantal relationships are so important but we don't have a good context for them. We don't have a good understanding for them. And so I want to just plead with you in marriage and say, look, a marriage is a covenant. So those of you that are married, you're you're in a covenantal relationship. Those of you that were married, you were in a covenantal relationship. The marriage that happens on earth with papers and states and all that stuff is nothing compared to the marriage before God. The state is just kind of added into the system 100 years ago, okay? So this was always meant to be between man and woman and God horizontally making a commitment in front of God and everyone else. It's a binding relationship. The thing that's brilliant and powerful about covenants, especially if you look at the old covenants, any of the old covenants from Abraham or on, what we see is we see God upholding both ends of it, even though his people that he keeps doing this for fail over and over and over again. We see this this profound patience and graciousness and love, and the word covenant literally... All the way through Scripture is God showing himself, bringing ways for his people to be near him. That's what he's trying to do. And so the, the author is like, look, we have this amazing high priest, and this incredible high priest, and this, incre- this incredible Jesus Christ, this Messiah, he's greater than angels, he's greater than Melchizedek, he's greater than David, he's greater than, he's greater than all these things. And, and we have him. And then he goes on and quotes Jeremiah, which is this promise that I can, I can tell you right now. Every single Jewish person goes, I can't wait. For that covenant. Because honestly, they found in the Mosaic covenant, in the Old Covenant, in fact, this word covenant really is where we get our word testament from. So really it should say Old Testament, and New Testament should actually say Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's the same word that's used there. It's this tied together, this binding in place. And so he, every single Jewish person under the Mosaic law, understood that covenant relationship with God, that God said, you will be my people, I will make you a whole people, you're set apart from the world. It's a a continuation, a following of the Abrahamic covenant, where Jesus said, I will bring you more descendants than there are sand on the the beach. And so each of the covenants, what we see in all of them, in fact, the only covenant that we see in all of Scripture, there's about nine or eight kind of big covenants. The only covenant that we see that doesn't necessarily get replaced by the other one is the, and this is hard for me to say, it's the Noahic covenant. They always add I see at the end. I found out that's because it's of them. It was a covenant made with Noah where he said he will no longer flood the entire earth. That's the only one that we kind of see still just kind of sitting in place. Every other covenant has been fulfilled by a new covenant. The covenant takes it over and kind of continues it and moves forward. And that's what happens. Think about this this way, guys. We are in the new covenant. There will be a new covenant for us after the new covenant. In, in Jesus' glory, there will be another promise of, of, of God and his relationship. And so this, this language, this covenant language is... It's not a, a contract, although every single covenant that's made from Abraham, David, all of these ones, the, even, the, even the Mosaic covenant that happens for the people of Israel at the Mount Sinai with the, with the tablets that are written on stone, all that stuff, even that covenant, it talks about when we covenant, we commit ourselves to this, there are kind of expectations on how you're going to operate in those. It's kind of this, this thing. Now, let's, let's look at the marriage relationship. Now, I covenanted before the Lord that I would marry Jen and love her until death do I part and that I would do the best way I can to lead her like Christ. I fail at that miserably on a weekly, daily, hourly basis at times. But I'm still in. Now, I could say, well, I made that covenant back in that day, so because I made the covenant, I don't have to do anything. I stood on the altar. I said, I will, I will love you forever, Jen. That's great. That's great. But I'm just, I don't, because the covenant, covenant is binding, I don't have to do anything. I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna go like play video games and dis- disconnect from my wife and never be present and never, ever, 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 ever do anything to show her that love. That would be foolishness. Some of you have unfortunately, sadly, experienced marriages like that. That's not the relationship. The covenant is still in place, but there are still operating parameters within the covenant. The picture of adoption. If you were adopted into a home, As as a child, you get adopted in, you now have parents. You have parents. There are parameters in which you are to operate within that family. And say, hey, this is what we do. This is, you know, we we eat this way. we, We choose to do this or whatever it is. These are kind of the household rules that are in place. But it doesn't, if you mess up, it doesn't mean you're no longer my child. The sad thing, and this is what, this is the disconnect that you and I get. The sad thing is that when we look at it compared to in a marriage, we see marriages ending all the time. And so we see covenants not lasting. And so Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, aligns our relationship with God through marriage as a perfect image of what it looks like, and yet we continue to mess that up. And now why is this important? Why is covenant important? Because really, really one big reason. Because God wants a relationship with us. And that is so key for us to hear because when you look at all of the external laws, the 600 plus laws that come through the Mosaic Law, In the Old Testament, you think it looks like he's like, okay, here's all the things I need you to do so that you can be in relationship with me. And it's not that. What he's saying is, in relationship with me, this is how you are to operate. And so we see covenant as God wants relationship with us. Now here's what's beautiful about what the author is saying here. Is he's not saying that this new covenant is another way for God to be with us. Instead, he's saying it's new covenant, which is through Jesus Christ, which brings us to God. It's the first covenant that that happens, where it's no longer God creating a space, a holy place for him to, to dwell on earth in this, this innermost place in the temple or the tabernacle where he's gonna, he's gonna reside and then once a year we can atone for that. It's no longer that. It's us being, like we talked about a few weeks ago, tethered in the holy place through Jesus Christ to the throne room of God. And so now, in the new covenant, when Jesus picked up that cup at the Last Supper right before he went to the cross, and he says, this is the blood of my new covenant, which we are gonna talk immensely about, next week. He said this, I want relationship with you. Yeah, yeah there, are, there are many ways in which that our relationship will play out. Yes, you will spend time with me. Yes, you will, you will obey me. J- John 15 says, if you love me, you obey my commands. So yes, yes, those things will happen, but it's not about those things, it's about the relationship. In essence, when Jesus picks up that glass, you know what he's saying? He's saying, will you marry me? And you know what breaks my heart, guys, is that we don't hear that as powerful as it should be because of our dysfunction of marriage. Jesus is literally picking up the cup and saying, my blood, my blood, will you enter into a marriage relationship with me? Where it's no longer God finding ways to come dwell with us and said, I'm just going to take you up to the throne room of God. You and me, we're going we're to we're be tied together. We're going to be bound together in an unbreakable covenant. Bound. And I'm going to put you in the throne room of God. And you can stand there all day long because of me and what I have done for you. See, the reason why covenant is such a beautiful word is the very reason why we struggle to understand it. Because when we hear covenant, we see the broken marriages in covenantal relations. But when God uses the word covenant, there is no breaking it. We have seven covenants before this one, before the new covenant, where we've seen God faithfully fulfill, fulfill, fulfill. He has never fallen short. So when you and I come to a new covenant relationship with Jesus, when we come to the cup, when he sets up and says, look, I, will, I want to marry you, and we say, I do. Oh, guys, that's, a, that's that heart change that Danny was talking about two weeks ago. That's that new creation that we were talking about last week. When we enter into a covenantal relationship with God, there is no breaking it. You don't have to hold your breath and hope that he doesn't find something younger or cuter than you. You don't have to hold your breath and and wonder if you're going to just mess up one too many times that he's going to walk out on you. You don't have to to wonder anymore, is God in relationship with me when he's already proven he has done everything to be in relationship with you. He didn't hold anything back. And when, when Jeremiah, inspired by God, utters those words 500 years before Jesus, it's a breath of fresh air. There's a better covenant coming. There's a relationship coming that isn't held up by us hoping that God will somehow dwell with us. Instead, he is going to dwell in us. He's literally going to put his spirit inside of us. He's going to break all the boundaries, and it's no longer an external relationship. It's an internal one. One God wrote it this way, and so we are to see ourselves now as a people of the new covenant in continuity with the covenant of grace pronounced to Abraham in fulfillment of the covenant of the law that worked out with Moses and at Sinai with the typological fulfillments and explicit fulfillments now at the end of the age in the fullness of time until we finally land in the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness, the end of all the covenantal promises. See, we get the honor and the joy in history to be here today where the only covenant we have to worry about and think about and and spend time is is the new covenant. It fulfills everything that happened in the old. We'll talk more specifically next week on how that is fulfilled but but i don't i don't i don't know if you've ever sat and maybe it's a little weird for some guys and you would be like jesus wants to marry me and it's a little weird but like you any of you have been married or hope to be married or are married there's that moment right there's that moment where like all you see is that person this isn't this isn't biblical this is just me okay hear this for a second all you see is that person that's it. Like, it doesn't matter what anyone else sees. And all you see in that person, this, I, I spend a lot of time in premarital trying to get people to see the reality of the person they're about to marry, right? But they're like, they're like just perfect. And everything in life is oriented to that. And look at all the time and energy and space that's put just to getting that union together. It's, it's profound. It's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. And every single one of you who are married can remember the day you got married very well, hopefully. Some of you maybe not, but that's, hopefully it was before Jesus, right? But you, 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 prof- you see the profoundness of that day. Some of you are getting married this summer, and you're so excited, and, oh, I can't wait. And, and you spend a lot of time and energy about the, the wedding itself and the excitement. Can you just for a moment, just, just, just do this for a moment with me. Jesus is that excited about you. Do you ever think about that? Like he, he pursued you better than you pursued your wife or your husband. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to do above and beyond that. I'm not only am I going to pursue you in love and care and everything else, I'm actually going to create a way for you to love me back. Because without me, you just can't do it. And where the Mosaic law fell short, it was they, they needed the, the, the word being put into them, which is what Jeremiah tells them. It's, it's no longer needing to be taught, although teaching is a great thing. It's in us. And Jesus pursues you. And, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus isn't done saving you. He is continually saving you. He is continually interceding for you. He's continually praying for you, personal. Don't just say you, church. Like Hear that as you. He's ready to set up the wedding day for you. And some of you in here, you don't believe that. you withheld it. And he's saying, like, hey, marry me. Marry me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. My promise is, look, one after, one after another, all fulfilled. God has yet to fall short, and he fulfills this last one through my blood, through the spilling of me. And Jesus says, I want to be in relationship with you. And you know what breaks my heart is that because of the dysfunction of covenant in our world, We don't see that as profound or beautiful or amazing. We see that as someone else that just can let us down at some point. Instead of going, what? I mean, just hang with me, okay? You know, there's college guys that are single out there. You know, you have this picture of this, like, perfect woman, right? She's, like, exactly the way you want her. No flaws. Even her family is awesome. Like, everything around her is awesome. She's independently wealthy, right? You don't have to work the rest of your life. You can video game all day long. She has a basement of a house already, so you don't have to do your parents' basement. You can just go there, right? Like, right? like we have, we have this, this perfect person, right? She's amazing, and she can't find any reason to look at anyone else but you. And you'd be like, wow, pretty amazing, pretty awesome. She wants me. I won that. I landed that. I hooked it, reeled it in, whatever, whatever your language is. It's probably not that, hopefully, because you won't end up with one. But either way, like... <laughs> But but my point is this, is that she's she's everything you would ever hope for, and then some, and she says, I want you. Yet Jesus Christ is beyond that. And he says, I want you. Jesus is better than any other person. I, I love Jen. I love her. She's a crummy God, as am I. If I love her more than Jesus Christ, I'm absolutely, horrifically failing her in the covenant. And that's the issue with us, guys, is we spend more energy and time trying to find a momentary marriage that can be a profound and beautiful picture of the covenant before God than we do recognizing that Jesus Christ is like, I'm yours, you're mine. I will tether you into the most holy place with God through my work, and I want you. Guys, we should be celebrating that every single day. That should make our wedding days, and I'm sorry, I got a lot of weddings this summer, okay? That should make them pale in comparison to that day. In fact, when you stand up on the throne, or not the throne, oof, bad idea. When you stand up at the fake altar, whatever it is, right? To make your covenantal (laughs) relationship with your bride, stay with me, I messed it up, all right? (laughs) When you stand up there, the only reason you're standing there making that covenant is because he's already covenanted with you. You have no right No right to make any commitment to being faithful to anyone without the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me say that very clearly. Without Jesus Christ, your marriage will fail. Without Jesus Christ, you are incapable of making fulfilling, covenantal, meaningful relationships that are not selfish. Don't get me wrong. You guys are all thinking like, well, what about this marriage? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that that realize that their goal, their purpose, their, their, their life isn't who they're marrying on this earth. It's that they're married to Christ. And that everything they do, their marriage, their kids, their jobs, their life, everything they do is about bringing much glory to that God who did everything to be in relationship with them. So covenant is an old word. I'm not suggesting you all need to go buy vinyl and start listening to record players again. But there is no modern day word to change. We don't have an English word to change that covenant covenant is still the only word we have and if you would just just for a second the the band's going to come up but if you would just for a second recognize that that covenantal relationship is yours to be had in jesus christ i'm telling you it would radically transform every other relationship you have some of you this is you're like at the you're at the kind of the pivotal point of this i'm just going to talk about this thing you're at that point in your marriage where you're like man i don't really like him or her I'm not really okay with what he's done or what she's done. And you you have a moment, you have a moment to go, okay, am I going to focus on him or her? Or am I going to focus on the relationship I have with Christ who has sustained it over and over again despite my shortcomings and failures? You know, it's amazing, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week hopefully, but what's amazing is that how many times I've failed the covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ and he continues to fulfill and fulfill and fulfill it. Because he's not going, hey, Brent, I'm going to do 50%. (laughs) You show this other 50. If we fall short, we'll we'll just see who's going to pick it up, the tab. It's going to be hard. Jesus says, I am in all the way through. I've shown you not just in my words, not just in my actions, but all the way through the cross and into the grave. So would you enter into a relationship with me? Would you covenant with me? Would you marry me? Some of you are getting married this summer, and you realize now I have not married Jesus maybe it's maybe it's time to marry him first some of you have been married for a very very long time and your marriage has has downplayed its relationship to a contract a consumerist contract if you do this I will do this but otherwise I'm out and you need to realize that your marriage relationship is actually tied to the covenantal relationship that Jesus Christ began with us and so would you would you marry Jesus Christ Would you spend just a little bit of time thinking about walking down the aisle with him? Celebrating the union that happens with him. Would you you just realize that in a moment, we talked about this last week, that Jesus is actually waiting. He's waiting to feast with us. In heaven right now, he's waiting to feast with his kingdom, with his covenantal people, which make up all of us that have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ. Again, some of you have been holding out on that and your hope is that someone can fulfill that satisfaction or that need. Someone can do something to make you feel joy or hope or you're, you're allowing yourself to think that you're intellectually higher than Christ and the scriptures, which is a prideful position. And you're saying, well, I'm gonna hold out on this relationship because it just, I'm just not sure it's good enough. The whole premise of why Jesus does this isn't so that you obey. He does it because he loves you. And you want love. I can guarantee it. Every single, I've not met a single person that isn't desiring love. In fact, a lot of people search for it in the wrong places. They look for it everywhere they possibly can. It is profoundly ours through Christ. And as we hit this middle point in this high priest discussion, as we go a little bit further, the author so badly wants us just to pause and say, look, Jesus has done everything. It's no longer is God going to dwell with us. He has brought us to dwell with him. It's no longer is there all these things that are in place. Instead, it's just God has actually taken on both ends of the covenant, which we'll talk about, hopefully, in the coming weeks. He has fulfilled both the expectation that we would be perfect by the law, and he's also fulfilled the full punishment that we deserve for not following the law. And in an instant, he has married us. And guys, I'm telling you right now, like I remember my, my wedding anniversary, which you should, but the better date to remember is the date that you entered into that covenantal relationship with Christ. And some of you are like, well, I just don't know if that's really happened. Then do it. Submit. Fall down on your face say, Say, Lord, I want nothing but you, and I don't even know how to do that. I'm so confused by it. I don't get it. Just fall down on your face. and Say, God, I want you. I want you more than anything else. And then turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I, I want Jesus. I don't know how to do that. Help me. And pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a covenantal relationship. God, forgive us for for destroying that word. God, I just want to pray specifically for a moment just for marriages that have um, every single reason to fall apart right now. God, would you sustain them? God, for the marriages that have fallen apart, would you restore them? Where you can, God, would you do a mighty work so that at the end of the day, we don't see marriages, oh, they really love each other. We see marriages and we look at Jesus and his church and go, that's what it's supposed to be. And God, forgive us for not recognizing how profound it is to be asked to be married by Jesus Christ, but God, may we just say, I do. Nothing but I do. As, as, we, as we live and breathe and think, and as you're sitting here, as I'm praying, I just, I just encourage you, just in your, in, your, in your head, just say that, just say, I do. Just say, I do. It's Jesus, his hand is out. His heart is there and he's saying, I am yours and you are mine. Marry me. And he wants the most intimate relationship with you, so intimate that you are uncomfortable and you're actually shrinking back because you're afraid of that intimacy. Don't let yourself do it. Just say, I do. Heavenly Father, we do. Because Jesus gave us the ability to do so. It's in his name we pray.